Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete and co-host... Ryan! Cam! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan Cam Slam Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Team Anders' goal is to serve its clients in finding the home that best fits their needs and make the process simple and fun along the way. They are a team of people who will be in close communication, personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. Team Anders has served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. It's August, and that means we are inside a month from football. If you're a baseball fan, the trade deadline is today. You're hoping your team made a move to make you better because that ain't happening in Detroit. A decision came down today for Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. What was it, Ryan? Eight Six games? games. Six games? Yep. Whatever. Let's hope. I was going to say let's hope he gets what's coming. I don't know that six games is enough, but the NFL clearly has set a precedence. Ray Rice got two games when he clearly on camera beat his then girlfriend or wife or whatever in an elevator. RIP to arguably the greatest champion ever, Bill Russell. Two NCAA titles, 13 1-3 NBA titles, and five MVPs. Incredible. We talk about MJ, we talk about LeBron as the best ever. Why don't we talk about Bill Russell as the best ever? And with just weeks until college football, it's time to jump right in. Ryan, the podium is yours. Yeah, Deshaun Watson, just real quick on that, that's BS. Kellen Ridley gambles on football and gets suspended for the whole season. This guy has 30 people say that he sexually assaulted them, harassed them, Get six games. Wow, makes sense, doesn't it? Um, but I, I'm I'm gonna come out and say it. I was wrong. We were wrong as a podcast. We talked about this at the beginning after the season ended, and we've been talking about it all off season. Is Tom Izzo long for this job? Well, he proved that he is because he just went out this weekend and got a commitment from a five star. Power forward, stretch four, program changers, Avery Booker um, from Indianapolis, 6'10", 6'11", lefty, can stretch the floor, block shots, handle the ball, you name it. This guy is the type of guy that changes a program. He's going to be really good with Jeremy Fears, who's in that class, and he's already starting to recruit other guys to come with him. We thought Izzo might be washed. He wasn't trying anymore. Well, this guy, Izzo, went to all of his games and it paid off for him, finally, with one of these big guys. And this guy wants to be in East Lansing. He seems excited about it. He's fired up. He wants to play for Coach Izzo and, and the style that he has. would love to see it. I'm glad to be proved wrong. Ishbia, give him a little sweet NIL deal just to make sure that he shows up when he says he's going to show up. That's all I'm going to say. But I'm excited about it. All right, for my podium, let's just say we need more Grayson McCall's in college sports. If you don't know who Grayson McCall is, he is a very good quarterback for Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers 
the fighting Dustin Johnsons, um, sweet teal uniforms. Do they put in a teal field, maybe mm-hmm. even? Yeah, down in South Carolina. Sure do. Um, kind of rose up out of nowhere a couple years ago. You know, beat BYU in a then undefeated game. Maybe lost one, maybe two games last year. They've been really good. He's shattering records. He's a great quarterback. My point, what did he not do? He didn't enter the transfer portal. Chase bags. You're talking about a quarterback who has NFL aspirations, who's got the game for it, who could very easily have gone to an SEC school, maybe Clemson, maybe even a Big Ten school if he wanted to, maybe a Big 12 school, a little more wide open, and gotten arguably more eyeballs, more press, more everything, but he chose to stay, and he is exactly what is right in a world of wrong in college sports. He did not go crying for the portal. Now, I'm not going to say that all these guys that go to the portal do it for a bad reason, okay? Kenneth Walker III is a great example. What they played at Wake Forest wasn't going to gel well for him to the NFL. Clearly, he found that he needed to go to a pro-style offense, and it worked out for him. But for every Kenneth Walker, there's a million guys that flunk out, and a lot of them are quarterbacks, or a lot of them are guys that just – they chase out of their reach in a way. And I'm not going to say McCall would have been chasing out of his reach because by all stretch, he seems pretty good. But he's really, really great at where he is. Why should he have taken the risk? And I'm glad he didn't take the risk. And that's my point and that's my podium is we need more kids like him. His quote this recently on this topic of why he stayed, there's a great story on The Athletic, although... I will say this, Athletic, you better ask hire a Michigan State beat writer or you ain't giving you my money anymore. Um, he is just now, because he stayed, he's a Coastal Carolina legend. He's not a transfer somewhere, flash in the pan, maybe does great for a year, maybe not. He's a guy that is a Coastal Carolina legend, and he pisses teal, his own words. He pisses teal. If you're a Coastal Carolina fan, I don't care that stadium only seats like 40000 or whatever. How can you not want to go to bat for this guy? And he'll get NIL deals there too, so it's not just about the money. You can get the money somewhere else. He stayed where he was comfortable. He stayed where he's liked. He stayed where he wanted to create a legacy and be in the record books and maybe you know take years, if, if not forever, to be broken. That's what I want more of in college sports. I want less entitled people, more guys that are willing to toil, stick to their commitment, work their way through, and get to the top. The question is, is how do we get that way with the majority of everyone else? You're never going to be that for everybody. It's never been that way for everybody. But if we could get 80% to be like him and 20% transfer instead of what feels like 50-50 now, man, college sports, basketball included, would be that much better. All right, moving for our tee-up. This is not necessarily new news. Um, I think it kind of happened and broke about the time we took the pod last week and you know, we went pretty benign. I think we ripped on Klondike for getting rid of the Choco Taco. But couldn't stay away from this one for too long. Let me just ask. Let's just do this. First, I'm going to tee up the United States government. And you know I could tee them up for a bajillion things. But in particular, let's keep it sports related. We are willing to trade the merchant of death, some basic Russian terrorist for freaking Brittany Griner, anti-American, broke the law in another country, 
trying to make excuses. Wah, wah, I sit for the anthem. Wah, wah, I don't go to the anthem. Wah, wah, burn a flag. Wah, wah, anti-American. And all of a sudden, she wants out. We've talked about that on the podcast before. And we're willing to trade somebody that's uh, maybe not Bin Laden is a little bit far down the stretch, but we're willing to trade somebody of that ilk for a WNBA basketball player who had to have her weed in Russia tee up the American government for one of a billion reasons, but this week, that's what that is for. All right, four downs again this week. Very preview heavy. We were super long last week. We're gonna to try to keep it to it our typical we'll try to keep it to a typical hour this week, but we had a lot of things to cover last week. So we're gonna go the first down preview, little second down bracket, little third down preview, fourth down golf, just like usual, end with our sprint and go. This week, last week we gave you seventh and sixth. Ryan again is covering the West. I'm covering the East. He's gonna give you the rundown and first down of the Big Ten West, his pick to finish fifth. I'll give you my pick without all the color commentary. I'll do the East, and then a little bit later in the pod, we'll do fourth place. So, Ryan, take it. If you remember last week, um, well, we talked about two teams. Um, both of us did. I'll give you a little reminder, a little flashback um, of what I talked about last week. So, talk about Northwestern, seventh place. Don't think they're going to be very good. Um, then I had a tie for fifth place. I talked about Nebraska um, because I don't think they're going to be great. Um, probably... What, I don't remember what, what I have them going, four and eight? Yeah, I think it was four and eight. Yeah, four and eight. Yeah, well, no, five and seven, I'm sorry. Um, and then this week I'm going to talk about a team that tied. I have tied with them. Uh, I chose to do them this week because I had them beating Nebraska, and that's the Illinois fighting Illini. Um, yeah, uh, last year, decent. Um, Brett Bielema, year one, uh, five and seven. Last year they were two and six in 2020, six and seven in 2019. Uh, they were four and eight in 2018, and two and ten in 2017. So, kind of been a rough last uh, ever for for Illinois, except for when they juice Williams that one year they went to the Rose Bowl. They were pretty sweet. Back in the days of where is my paycheck? I want another new car. That was their fight song in the 80s. Ask Michigan fans; they'll remember. Yeah. So not not a great run for Illinois football, but Buell was trying to change around. Uh, fun fact: It is his home state, Illinois, is so that's what originally why he came back here. Um, and they got actually a uh, new offensive coordinator this year, Barry Lunny Jr. They poached him from UTSA, who, if you remember, beat Illinois last year at Illinois early in the season. So high scoring game after yeah. they after they had beaten Nebraska, and we thought, oh, Illinois yep. has turned a corner, stole them, stole them away. So <clears throat> they got that going for him. Um, it's going to be an interesting team. Um, offensively, quarterback has been their issue for geez, a long time. Last year, Brandon Peters and Art Sikowski, the transfer from Rutgers, who's pretty terrible. He's still on the roster, um, still trying to fight for it, but I'm pretty sure this guy is – I could probably do it just as well as him, um, to be honest with you, if I just showed up. Um, then they have Tommy DeVito. He had transfer from Syracuse. He played well for a couple years, and he kind of – was injured last year, lost his starting spot, and transferred over to Illinois. I don't think he's going to make their quarterback room that much better, um, but he's... Same colors. Yeah, true. Orange and blue. Serviceable. The, the place where Illinois is going to be very good is running back. So this guy, Chase Brown, is back. He's a rising star, quick little guy, um, had a big, big season last year. Um, one of the better returning backs in the Big Ten. Kind of took the... 
took him by storm a little bit. Um, no one knew anything really about him coming to the season last year, and he and he kind of broke out toward the end. Um, and he's looking to have a big year. He's you know could be an all conference guy for Illinois. Um, so they're looking forward to having him back. Um, and then they also have a couple other really nice backs. Josh McCray's kind of a bigger guy than Reggie Love. Um, so they have three backs that can that can you know that can run it. Um, I expect to see Brown get a lot of carries and those other guys kind of you know fill in there. I mean McCray's probably you know, short 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 down or I'm sorry short distance back. I mean he's he's six one two forty so he's a big fella. Um, yeah, should be interesting. And, and by the way, Chase Brown, former Western Michigan Broncos. So that's a uh, Interesting little tidbit there, but receiver. Um, they have Isaiah Williams coming back, former quarterback that moved him over to receiver so he could play, and he's very electric. He's kind of a kind of comparing to a Keyshawn Martin for for you Michigan State fans, just a former quarterback that can get out in space and you know be electric. He's gonna be pretty good. Then they got Casey Washington coming back, um, had a, had a good twenty twenty one. Um, honestly, those are basically their two best receivers from last year, so they're excited those two guys are back. Then Luke Ford, um, he was a highly touted recruit. He transferred from Georgia, um, sat out in 2020 or 2019, I believe, and this is his last year on campus. Um, so he's looking to have a big year. Probably could use that after losing Daniel Barker to Michigan State, so he'll probably get a lot, a lot of looks there. Um, and then offensive line, um, this is where they're weak, and this is where Bielema can build them um, because – we all know at Wisconsin he built offensive lines that were pretty unbelievable and turned out a lot of guys that ended up playing the NFL and being really really successful. Um, but he needs to do yeoman's work here um, when it comes to this this offensive line. It's kind of a patch job, really. Um, I don't know, I'm gonna butcher this name. Alex Pajuski. Um, he's their their main returning guy. He's a tackle. Um, then. Otherwise, they don't have any guys that have really played much in the Big Ten. Um, so it should be interesting to see what happens with those guys. Um, I don't know. That's When you don't have a great offensive line, when you don't have a great offense in the first place, that's usually a problem. So hopefully they can kind of figure that out. I'd like to see them be successful because, I, I mean, it's it's cool when a bad team, a historically not great team, does, does well. Um, I mean, Michigan State plays them, but I don't think they're really a, much of a threat um, to Michigan State, and they're in the West, so have at it, guys. But, yeah, there's some newcomers coming. They have Sean Miller, three-star receivers, their highest-rated highest, highest rated receiver slash recruit coming in. And they got Dylan Davis. He's a tackle, probably play right tackle. He's a transfer from Furman, started there for a few years. Um, pretty big guy, 6'4", 290. Um, so maybe he'll uh, he'll be decent for them. That's their offense. Um, the defense, um, Sidney Brown, he's their best returning player. I think he's at Big Ten Media Days. He's been there for geez, a lot of years. He had a pick six against Michigan State in 2019 when Michigan State blew a 28-3 lead. Uh, fun stuff there as well. Um, but, yeah, he's the unquestioned leader of this defense. Um, should should help them there in the backs in the back. In the defensive backfield. Then they also have Jatarvius Martin. I think that's how you say his name. I don't know. Uh, he's he's their other corner. He's back. Um, and honestly, aside from that, they don't have much. Um, they lost a decent amount um, of guys. Um, their front seven, it's kind of a patch job as well, just kind of figuring out. I'm sure in fall camp they'll figure out who's good, who's not, and they're going to play them um, and see what happens. Week zero against Wyoming, they have uh, a, a 
pretty highly touted linebacker coming, Jared Beatty, um, then Rashawn Wilkins, he's a Vandy transfer, um, started some games for them, pretty big guy in the middle. Um, so that's a little bit of experience, just not with the Illini. Um, the special teams-wise, they lost both their starting punter and kicker, so they have walk-ons fighting for these two spots. That's always that's never a fun thing when you don't have your specialist figure out going into the year, um, especially with no experience. Definitely strength this team's running back slash receiver. Good good guys coming back, pretty electric. Just a matter of can Devito or Art Sikowski, whoever's gonna be the quarterback, get it get them the ball. I don't know. That's gonna be the biggest question mark. But getting you know getting the receivers the ball in space is gonna be important for them, especially Isaiah Williams um, and defensive back. They're also pretty strong and weakness definitely front seven on defense, offensive line. Like I was saying, definitely need some work there. Um, it's gonna be interesting. But overall, um, you know, five and seven overall, three and six in the Big Ten, tied for fifth and west. I mean, this is what their schedule looks like. I said week zero, they're playing the Cowboys of Wyoming. Think that'll be a win. Um, then the next week they travel to uh, for a week one game, Indiana's first game. You're going to Bloomington. I think they're going to win that because they already have a game under the belt. If they were both starting from scratch, I would say Indiana would win. But I think Illinois having that game, that experience under their belt, um, will help them win. And they have a home game with Virginia, who has a very, very good offense. Um, Brennan Armstrong's back. He's really good. Um, so I think they're going to lose that. Then they play Ch- have a bye week. Um, and then they play Chattanooga. Should be a win. Um, then they have a rough stretch where they go – Two Madison to play Wisconsin, definitely a loss. Home against Iowa, have them losing that. Home against Minnesota, have them losing that. Then a bye week, and then they end the season. Um, in their last five, they go to Nebraska. I think they're going to win that because they have Scott Frost's number. Then they play Michigan State at home. I think that'll be a loss. Home against Purdue, have that as a loss. And they finish with two on the road. They go to Ann Arbor. I just don't see them winning that either. That's a loss. And then... Um, traveling to Evanston to play in their rivalry game against Northwestern. Did they play for a trophy? The Link- I don't know. It's the Lincoln something or other, Land of Lincoln or Yeah, whatever. Land of Lincoln. Yeah, they, I think they play for a trophy. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> they play them last week of the season as usual, have them winning that, finish the season, like I said, 2-1 and one out of conference, 3-6 and six, Big Ten, 5-7 and seven overall. We'll see what happens. I think, you know, if the ball fall, maybe maybe they win one of those games, you know, a close one against – pull one off against Minnesota at home or something or Purdue um, and, and get to bowl eligibility. But I, I, I think that they're you know still a couple years away from being a bowl team, but I think Bielema has them going in the right direction generally. Um, that's the Illini. Yeah, and last week um, this is a place where Ryan and I disagreed. I actually had Illinois sixth last week. Um, same record, five and seven, three and six. Um, but I have a glut of teams in the West in, in a tie for second, and the one this week we'll call them fifth place. Basically, based on the one and two against the other three teams they tie with, and but then beating Iowa, I have them. But I have Purdue going eight and four, five and four, tied for second in the West, and going to the guaranteed rate bowl. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Purdue's season comes along. They kind of came up a little bit out of nowhere last year. They're known to have a good explosive offense. Got to have make some replacements. They lost some key defensive players, so we, we shall see. You'll hear more about Purdue from Ryan when the time is right, whenever he has them in his pecking order. For me today, Big Ten East number five finisher, the Maryland Terrapins. Five-year trend. 
two and seven in seventh place in 2017, three and six, fifth place in 18, one and eight, sixth place in 19, two and three, fifth place in 2020, and three and six in fifth place last year. I just don't see Maryland being a whole lot better than that, to be honest. Um, And in fact, as a fun fact for you, the Terrapins have only finished 500 or better one time since joining the Big Ten, and that was in their first year in the conference back in 2014 under Randy Edsel. Therefore, you'll see why I picked them where I picked them. Little summary. Um, Speaking of 2014, that was the last time prior to the 2021 season that Maryland ended up with a winning record. Uh, Ryan and I were very low on the Terps going into last season, and this prediction is only marginally better. Uh, Here's why. Maryland beats up on the weak to mediocre, but they cannot pass the sniff test against the big boys. Never. I'm not sure that this season will be any different. There's a reason for hope and optimism, but... After a spate of cupcakes early, and we'll get to the schedule in a, in a bit, it gets real, and it gets real fast. Then it takes a break. Then it's another brutal three-game stretch. Like I said last week when talking about Indiana Rutgers, it isn't that teams like Maryland can't recruit a little or don't have pretty strong talent um, at the starting lineup especially. It's the depth, specifically the quality of depth, and in some cases in positions, the quantity as well. And that, as we know, is where the rubber meets the road. That's where the, the wheat separates from the chafe. Looking at their offense and a key newcomer, Maryland can and will toss the ball around the yard. They did it last year. The question is, again, can they do it against the big boys? Uh, Twalia? Tulia? How do you say his name? I don't know. Another Tagovailoa. Is a, he's a seasoned veteran. He's coming off a really, really good season last year including being the MVP of the Pinstripe Bowl. He's got a lot of weapons at wide receiver. Rakeem Jarrett had 62 catches last year. Dante Demas, if he can stay healthy. He was good early last year, then got hurt. They've got Florida transfer Jacob Copeland. Um, And they all really present speed, game-breaking ability, and options for Tagovailoa. Toss in Corey Dykes, and there is a nice safety net at tight end, too. And depending on who you follow, though, the line returns at least four, if not all five starters, which is good, but the line is a little eh in my estimation. Again, good enough to dominate the teams it should, but not in the game or not in the same league as the big boys. The question mark on offense really, to me, is at running back. Tayon Fleet Davis is gone. Who's going to emerge? You've got Colby McDonald, Challen Fa'amatu, or maybe a top newcomer and four-star recruit, Ramon Brown. Um, Balance is going to be key to steal a win against a top-tier team. The Terps will get a lot of chances to fine-tune early in the season, and they will have a good passing game, but I don't think they're going to have a running game that can compete with the big boys. Moving over to the defensive side, a defense that, like the offense, couldn't pass muster against the good and great teams on the schedule last year is in for a ride heading into 2022. A handful of key players are gone. The depth is shaky at best. And as we will see when we get to the schedule breakdown, it only has a few weeks to get things figured out or it will be straight Groundhog Day repeat of 2021 efforts against the good teams. Defense has been such an issue, really, that the Terrapins are on defensive coordinator number four since 2019. Though one week coach Kevin Steele really doesn't count, I guess. But still, three DCs in the last three, four seasons, I mean... 
Um, looking at the squad, a chunk of starters fall into the solid category. A good pair of D tackles, Finau and Nasil Kite. Um, they got yeah, they got a talented linebacker, Hippolyte, pretty cool name, and two good cool. corners, Banks and Bennett. And they've got a really good nickel and still. But with three top recruits from last year all hitting the portal and taking off, depth is a big concern. And the big question, too, is can Maryland generate a pass rush? Who's going to step up? There's a newcomer in West Virginia transfer, Vandarius Cowan, another great name. Really I don't think name. related to the Cowan that was a good basketball player for them. Uh, four-star Jayshon Barham. Um, is he ready to make an impact at linebacker? As you can see, there are a lot of questions but maybe not enough answers. Special teams-wise, Eastern Michigan transfer Chad Ryland provides a serious upgrade at kicker. He's a Groza watch list. Yeah, he had 19 of 22 field goals last season. Um, they've got really good punters, Colton Spangler and Anthony Pecarella. They split the job last year. Spangler booted 45.5-yard average, which is a program record good. and really good. And Pecarella pinned foes inside of the 20 11 different times so you got kind of like that pooch kicker you got the boomer special teams doesn't seem to be an issue maryland always finds some stud receiver or running back to be a great return man too so i don't have any questions about about that the strength quarterback bar none unless tug of goes down then it might be a problem um you know he's really truly among the top signal callers in the conference weakness we've talked about it over and over and over already here is depth um, I definitely think Loxley can recruit. I think Maryland has some nice skill players, but are there enough to overcome injuries? And are there enough guys in the trenches? Much like Ryan talked about with Illinois, if you don't have a great offensive line, even a, a good, an above-average offensive line and an above-average defensive line, the, the Ohio States, the Penn States, the Michigans, the Michigan States, the Wisconsins, the Iowas are going to destroy you, and, and that's what Maryland is up against. So looking at their schedule, um, it starts, it's a pretty pretty easy start, I would say. Maybe week three, there's a little bit of a, okay, get your attention. Start with Buffalo, who's been a decent MAC team. They're going to get a win there. They're going to on the road to Charlotte. Kudos to these Big Ten schools. I go to small schools once in a while. They'll get the dub at Charlotte. Um, they're going to get SMU at home, and they'll get a win there, although SMU could give them a little bit SMU of a test. A decent team. And then it gets real, and it gets real fast, like I talked about in the open. They're at Michigan, loss. Michigan State at home, loss. Purdue at home, I got them winning that game. Um, you know, that's kind of that glut of teams in the West that are good, but but nobody's great per se. I think that'll be a chance for them to kind of get it right. So that's a four and two start right there. Go at Indiana, and I already predicted this in week one. That's going to be Indiana's only league, you know, league win. They're going to be riding high after Purdue, Maryland, the Purdue win. They're going to lose lay an egg at Indiana and start sweating a bowl game. They will get the win the next week against Northwestern, and then it gets tough again. At Wisconsin, at Penn State, Ohio State, LLL. Then they end with Rutgers to get the six wins, get to a bowl game. They're going to qualify and go to the Quick Lane Bowl. Uh, remains to be seen who they play. Maybe they can get that and, and at least go two seasons in a row, go seven and six, build on it a little bit, continue to build, maybe continue to recruit. But again, looking for the depth. Could they sneak up and upset some of those teams? You know, you got Michigan State, you got Purdue, uh, you got Ohio State at home. They've played Ohio State tough in Maryland before. They could. I just don't see it happening. So there is my pick for fifth in the Big Ten East. Ryan, who did you have fifth in the Big Ten East? Yeah. Um, let's see, what did I have them? I, I also had Maryland. Um, I have them going 
six and six overall, guaranteed rate bowl, three and zero in or out of conference, and three and six in conference with their wins being at Indiana, Northwestern, and Rutgers, losing the rest. So, yeah, pretty close. Pretty similar. All right, moving on to second down, which is as you know by now our bracket down, at least it has been for the summer. I gotta get the perch chops there a second. All right, this week, the best college football coaches current. Mm. Now, I'm sure that you could argue that I left people out of here. You could argue with your seating. You could argue with any of this that you want to argue with. But this is how I see it seated currently going into this season. And this is what we're going to battle from. All right, Ryan, in that first bracket, you got number one seed and arguably, not even arguably, for sure number one seed overall, Nick Saban. Going against number four seed from Baylor, Dave Aranda, who has only been there a couple seasons. I think he's 14 and 9 or something like that. But he yeah. really turned him around last year. Really good recruiter. He's a good recruiter, good coach, kind of rebuilt Yeah, I mean, him. it's not close. Saban. I yeah. think Aranda's a chance to be good, really good. But I, you know, I think he's definitely um, in the, you know, he's good enough to be in the top 16 right now. But, yeah, it's, it's not good. Saban, it's not. And it's not even close, and that probably is going to end up who's going to win this whole thing. Um, and on the bottom side of that bracket, Saban's buddy, number two seed Jimbo Fisher, and number three seed Luke Fickle. I know you don't like Jimbo. I don't think like, he's a good coach. I really did he don't. win an Addy at Florida State? Yeah, because of Jameis Winston. Yeah, Jameis Winston. I, crap I think Fickle's an excellent coach. I'll go with Fickle. I don't Jim. I don't like Jimbo, but I don't think he's a great coach. He's a he's a Great recruiter, but he's a, his teams are always average. I agree. I, I think they underperform, and I think Fickle has proven that you can take you know a program that has got to compete recruiting wise just in his footprint with all the teams that recruit in Ohio, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, Kentucky. Now, um, I would go with Fickle as well. And then the two faced off last year because Saban, Mister Saban, yeah, no question. It's Not Old Saint close. Nick. Um, moving down to the next bracket, number one seed Dabo against number four seed old Khaki Pants. Who's that? Jim Jim Harbaugh. Oh, not Dabo. Jim Harbaugh is king of PR via quirky, weird decisions like sleeping over at a kicker's and weird statements that he makes and dressing weird. And picking his nose and eating it on the sideline, Dabo Sweeney, and it's not even close. In that bracket, number two seed Kirk Ferentz against number three seed Mike Gundy. Ooh. The mullet. I'll go with the mullet man. Yeah, I'm going to go with Gundy as well. I mean, Ferentz definitely for his longevity. He's been great at Stand Iowa, up. but for as solid as he's been, very rarely is Iowa great. Which is kind of disappointing because he is. he builds on great offensive lines. He builds with great stud front sevens on defense, but he can't recruit a quarterback worth a lick. I mean, Ryan and I could probably play quarterback for Iowa and be about as good as what they've had. I mean, really, who's the last really good quarterback? Beathard's been their last decent one. Beathard, that's He's the only one I can even good. back to Chuck Long. That's about all, and that was well before Barrons. That's the only one I can name. So that's why Gundy, Mister Mullet. I mean, he recruits dudes that go into the NFL. They compete in a league where they're arguably third or so fiddle to currently, at least, Texas and Oklahoma. So I'm going to go with Gundy as well. And then we got Dabo and Gundy. I'm a man. I'm 40. Dabo. 
Yeah, Dabo as well. Dabo's kind of more of a rose up more lately, but still, um, he's got the whole <laughs> excuse me the whole package at Clemson. Moving down to the next bracket, number one seed Kirby Smart against our boy, number four seed Mel Tucker. Well, Kirby's won a national championship, so we're going to go with Kirby. I love yeah. Mel, but... No. Yeah, I mean, Mel's got Michigan State on there. the right tra- trajectory, 100% for sure, but Kirby's there. been to the Natty twice. He's won a Natty as recently as last year. He can recruit, although the number one overall recruit in Georgia just signed with Alabama this week. Um, so you got to go with Kirby there. And then number two seed, sneaky good, Kyle Whittingham yes. from Utah against number three seed, Matt Campbell. And you wonder, Ooh. how good would Campbell be if he was at a bigger program than Iowa State? I like Whittingham. He's been there a while. Since Urban, right? Urban. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's done some good things, and I think he's got Utah poised to stay in kind of that tier one like we've talked about before. I'm going to go with Whittingham as well. So, so far, Ryan and I agree on all of them. And, and so does Captain upstairs. What about uh, Kirby and Kyle? Uh, Kirby. You know, boy, it's hard to argue against a national title, but I think Winningham can just coach. Like last year, I don't think Utah started all that great, did they? They weren't great. Um, and then they just turned it on and they competed hard in the Rose Bowl and they looked really, really good and even stayed in that game with a backup quarterback. I'm going to go with a little bit of upset here. I'm going to break the, break the norm of just because he won a natty. Um, I really like what Winningham has done with his resources and what he's got in Utah. It's not exactly like Utah is teaming with you know, top-level recruits, so he's got to go to California where everybody goes. He's got to go to the Pacific Northwest where he's competing against Washington and Oregon. Um, you know, He's got to try to dip into Texas where everybody goes, so I'm going to go with Whittingham. Going on to the last bracket, number one seed Ryan Day against number four seed Lane Kiffin. Day. Yeah, I think... Um, you know, Lane, like, he's he's fun. His style is fun. His approach is fun. His persona is fun. The fact that they wear powder blues all the time now at Ole Miss is fun. You know, Ryan Day hasn't been there very long, but, I mean, dude can recruit. He recruits toe-to-toe with the SEC. He's got the budget for it, which helps. Um, he churns out quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, you got to go with Day for sure. Number two seed there, Lincoln Riley against number three seed, y'all Brian Kelly. Definitely Lincoln. Brian's annoying. Yeah. He's a good coach, but... BK, I think BK, because he's got more longevity, it'll be interesting to see. Now, if this was a year or two in at USC and Riley had kind of turned them around as their fans of long four since since the days of, you know, Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart and, and that epic run in the early, mid-2000s, um, give me a year or two there and then get him in the Big Ten and see, see how he does... You know, even in the Big 12, it was really always kind of Oklahoma and Texas and everybody else, and Texas hasn't been that great. I want to, it's kind of not too dissimilar in the Pac 12 as it exists now, but get him in there when he's competing against, you know, Day and all those guys regularly in the Big 10. Harbaugh, Tucker, Christ um, might be a different story. I'm going to go with Brian Kelly as much as I think he's kind of a jackwad, although he did really well at Grand Valley, so can't yep. remember that. All right, and then you got Day against Lincoln. Uh, I'll just go Lincoln, so it's not all the one seeds. Well, I mean, hey, number one, four number one seeds have made the final four once, or maybe twice, and I am going to go with uh, Day myself over uh, Brian Kelly. All right, you got Saban and Dabo. Saban, and I'm going to also take Saban, and then you've got um, Kirby. And you've got Kirby and Lincoln Kirby, Riley. Kirby, 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 and I've got 
Whittingham and Day. Bar none, Nick Saban. I'm going to go champion. Day, and then I'm going to go Saban for sure. Yep. Saban, Saban is, is the champ. I mean, he is the GOAT. He was great at LSU. Then he went to the NFL. He was really he built Michigan State from the ashes, really, because of the way Perlis left him. So, yeah. That's where we are with our bracket for this week. All right, Ryan, moving on to third down. Let's get back into our previews. I'll go first this time, and then I'll let you um, follow up. I'll go with the. We're going to go Big Ten East and West fourth place. So for me, um, I actually have um, a tie for third, but based on tiebreakers, this team gets T three or gets the get previewed this week as the fourth place finisher, um, and that would be Penn State. Their five-year trend, 2017, 7-2, tied for second. 2018, 6-3, third. 2019, 7-2, second. 2020, 4-5, losing record, third. 2021, 4-5, losing record, fourth. Well, fun fact, since joining the Big Ten in 1993, the Nittany Lions have had 24 conference records of 500 or better. Of the five total below 500, two were in the last two seasons. So, does that mean I'm going to pick them there again? I don't think so, based on having them fourth, but let's get into it. Coach James Franklin, he will remind you that the Nits have started Big Ten play on the road the past nine seasons and do again this year at Purdue, week one. To that, I say, wah, wah. You want to call it disrespect? Use it as a rallying cry. Don't come at me with your condescending, better-than-you tone at media days and pressers. Shut up and win. Things were great in State College from 2016 to 19, but not so much lately. That isn't the fault of the schedule. That's because Penn State hasn't fielded much of an O-line in a handful of years, and aside from some surefire superstars at other spots uh, on both sides of the ball, they haven't had quality depth to match those handful of NFL prospects. Yet, they paid Franklin bank after last year, a contract that matches Mel Tucker. Maybe out of fear of him bolting to the SEC. Not sure, but given his trend, I don't know that that was the wisest investment. At least not for for that term, 10 years. Uh, The Nittany Lions are 11-11 in their last 22 games, and they went 2-6 down the stretch last season. That spells mediocre. Everybody has injuries. Can it turn around this year? Maybe. Some carryover weaknesses remain. But that's the beauty of college football. New guys step in and step up all the time. Who will that be for Penn State this year? Let's find out. On offense, the best news for this offense is the return of super senior Sean Clifford, I I think. No, that should be because he's definitely a seasoned veteran. He has 33 starts under his belt. Got to be by far the most in the Big Ten. Uh, maybe in, even in college football. And we saw firsthand when he went out at Iowa how green the backups are. In fact, all three still have only freshman eligibility going into this season. Clifford is the season vet of the league, but he's been above average at best in reality. Can he take a step up this year? Sure, but he won't have Jahan Dotson and his electric playmaking to help him out. So then what's it going to take? Major improvement up front and from the running game. Those are still glaring weaknesses in my book heading into the season. Only two starters return up front, and while there is some depth, 
reliance on an Ivy League transfer, Hunter Norzad, and a JUCO, J.B. Nelson, doesn't exactly scream massive improvement for a program like Penn State. Arguably, the top running back, Noah Kane, he bolted for LSU. So can Kevon Lee and stud recruit Nick Singleton elevate their games and fix a broken ground attack? Wide receiver has been a consistent strength over the past decade, and even with Dotson gone, Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert-Smith are poised to make a jump. Transfer Mitchell Tinsley will be intriguing as well. He comes from a high-octane Western Kentucky attack, one that Michigan State saw last year, but that team also slung it around a lot more than Penn State will. All in all, I'd give the offense a B- with plenty of potential to get to a B+, maybe even an A- if that line comes together. I I have faith that they'll produce a good running back. Penn State they typically does. They have a five-star that's coming in. Uh, yeah, I think that's Singleton. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think the, the Nittany Lions will inch back over the 500 barrier for sure in conference play. But first, before we get into that breakdown, let's get to the defense. Uh, the biggest star power on this side may be in the name on the plate outside the defensive coordinator's office. Former U coach Manny Diaz joins Franklin's staff, and the hope is his presence takes a consistently good but not dominant Penn State defense to new heights. Last year's group was solid, gave up a lot of yards, but only surrendered 24-plus points in a few games. By the way, all losses. And with some departures to the NFL, is there room to go from good to great? Maybe. It starts up front, as you're going to hear from me as a theme with every team. The Lions get back two key players in massive DT, P.J. Mustafer, and defensive end, Adiza Isaac. Maryland transfer, Damian, I guess, D-E-M-E-I-O-U-N. You don't need to buy a vowel there. Damian Robinson uh, and five-star Danny Dennis Sutton will be called on to take over the production Um left by the departure of Arnold Ibikidi, who left for the NFL. Um, Pass rush is still a little bit of a question. So what about the linebackers? Penn State lost two good ones in Ellis Brooks and Brandon Smith, but do return Curtis Jacobs. The good news is there is some depth at linebacker, but is there that traditional linebacker you type of guy? That remains to be seen. Half the secondary is great. The other half, time will tell. Cornerback Joey Porter is a next-level stud. Safety Jair Brown led all of FBS, or tied for it, with six picks last year and is a ball hawk, as well as a sure-handed tackler. Kalen King, who returns with some experience at cornerback, and Jalen Reed at safety, did play a lot last year as top-notch recruits, and if they continue on that trajectory, the secondary will be the definite strength of the defense. Generally speaking, this has the makings of a very good defensive squad, but to get back to 9, 10, 11 wins, it's going to have to be great because there's enough questions on the offensive line. Can Diaz coach him up to that point? That's the million-dollar question. Moving on to special teams, the make-or-break of a great team, and Ryan alluded to that a little bit with Illinois having walk-ons, as special teams. Penn State lost place kicker and punter, so dual-task dual Jordan Stout, and the battle for punter will go into fall camp. Now, place kicker does look back to go to Jake Penninger, who was 36 for 49 in his career before losing the job last year, but does he have the mental fortitude to overcome being benched? You know, kickers in their psyche. Time will tell, and while there is a lot of quality athletes to return kicks, replacing a stud like Dotson is never an easy task. For the strength, it's honestly hard to peg one absolute strength. I think there's some really solid areas on this team. 
But let's just say there is plenty of talent in key positions for this team to be good, whether it's quarterback, wide receiver, defensive tack, cornerback, or safety. Somebody's going to rise up in that and maybe make that position group one of the best in the Big Ten. Weaknesses, we talked about it. Pass rush, offensive line play, and for now, running game. I think the running game will be okay. That's the place. That's the one place in my mind you can truly plug in a freshman, a true freshman, and say, go. Um, they don't need to know route tree as well as the receivers do. They don't need to know blocking schemes. Just give them the ball, tell them which hole they're hitting, and go, right? So I think they're, they'll be okay there, so I hesitate to call it a weakness all season. But pass, rush, and O-line play are the absolute two things to look for in Penn State because I think that's that's going to be the difference between them being good to maybe very good. Um, I worry a little bit less about the pass rush maybe because Penn State seems to generate one in one shape or, or form, but lack of a stud on the offensive line again. Um, and even the running game last year was kind of meh. Can they be better this year? That has my attention. As far as the pick goes, let's get to it. So I have the Nittany Lions, as I said, actually tying for third. Um, I have them getting out of the gates a little bit slow. The natives are going to get restless right away. They go to Purdue. I think Purdue's going to be fired up. Is that a Thursday night? Thursday game? night, yeah. Um, I, I think Penn State's going to lose that game. Might be a different story if it was in Happy Valley, but it's not. Um, then they come back and they play Ohio at home. I think that's going to be a win. And then even though Auburn is getting you know raked over the coals and their coaches, like everybody wants to send them for the hills and whatever, going to Auburn, still in September, it's hot. It's at Auburn. It's an SEC school. I think Penn State takes a close loss there, and then all of a sudden they're one and two and left holding the bag on a ten-year, hundred and twenty dollar contract, and going, "What in the, the hell did we just do?" Then I think the schedule gets a little soft after that. Central Michigan, the chips can the chips have beaten some good teams in the world. They beat Oklahoma State. And, you know they've been good. I think Penn State gets the win there. I don't think it'll be quite the cakewalk that a lot of teams think it should be. That also comes from a Spartan who has seen my team lose to them a handful of times over the years. Um, then it's Northwestern at home. That's an easy win. Northwestern, I think, by far is the worst team in the Big Ten this year, all told, east or west. Then a bye. Then they go to Michigan. I'm telling you what, if they win at Michigan, that could really turn the season for them. But I think either way, the season kind of it breaks in a good way after that. Even though they won't get a you know, break later in the year, they're going to lose at Michigan, but then they've got Minnesota at home. They're going to get a W. Ohio State will presumably be a whiteout game, although I think that's a noon game maybe. Um, I just don't think they've got the horses to hang with Ohio State. So I think Ohio State gets a little payback for past sorrows in Happy Valley. I think Ohio State walks on Penn State that week. But then I think it closes strong for starters because they go at Indiana, Maryland, at Rutgers. Win, win, win. Those are three pretty easy wins for Penn State. Things are looking good. I think Michigan State comes in, um, and we'll obviously we didn't get to Michigan State yet, so we'll get to them next week. I think they'll be the difference between Michigan State having a very good and a great season, and I think Penn State will get a little bit of payback for the snowball loss last year. Um, I think Franklin wouldn't admit it, but he's got a bitter taste in his mouth because of Fat Man touchdown a few years ago when D'Antonio was there. Um, I think he sees that Tucker is the guy that can recruit better than he can he was always the guy that they looked at as he's the guy to watch out for for recruiting so I think Penn State gets a little bit of retribution that's two and one out of conference with that loss to Auburn that's six and three in the Big Ten which is a tie for third 
eight and four overall and a berth in Penn State fans might not like this, but being in proximity and it's New York and because that's where they are, the draw, Penn State goes to the pinstripe bowl. All right, Ryan, what do you got for the Big Ten East fourth place finisher? Yeah, um, well, I um, fourth place, well, I'm looking through here. Um, I had a bunch of teams tying. Oh, I'm sorry, I had Michigan fourth place because uh, even though I'm going, wait, no, I did this wrong, I'm sorry. Penn State would be fourth place as well. Um, I had them losing to Purdue. Because is that Purdue? Hard place to play. I had them beating Auburn. That's a difference I have with you because I think Auburn's pretty bad. Um, and I've been losing to Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State. So they have them eight and four, five and four in the conference. Also going to the Pinstripe Bowl, but I, I'm down on Penn State. I think eight and four is just that's they should be. They have eight built-in wins because they're Penn State, right? That's a storied program. I think James Franklin's a poor coach. I think he's a crybaby sissy. At media days, oh, you know, we were injured. You know, every team has injuries, James. You know that. It's not just your team. We only need to throw some pity party for you, pal. He's almost in a lot of ways more unlikable than Jim he, Harbaugh. I, I hate him. I, I despise James Franklin. <laughs> Harbaugh's just a goof, a nut, a screw I, I don't, loose James guy. Franklin's a, a Franklin's he's just, an ass. He's cocky. He's, he's an he's asshole. Arrogant. He's, a, he's a cocky, arrogant SOB. That he's, yeah, he had, he had they won the Big Ten... They like went to the Rose Bowl. So, yeah. I mean, they've gone to a couple New Year's Six Bowls, but it's Penn State. They they do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Sean Clifford, I don't think he's very good. We're going to throw in a true freshman quarterback. I don't know. You have, the Singleton guy, yeah, you don't have a freaking offensive line to right. block for him. Parker Washington's a good receiver. This Tinsley guy's good, but his numbers were inflated because they threw the ball 70 times a game. Right. And then you've got pretty good tight end in Brenton Strange. Yeah, he's a good athlete. Again, your offensive line sucks, and your defensive line, aside from one guy, not very good. Your linebackers, eh, really good secondary. Joey Porter Jr. and whatever the other guy, uh, Jair, whatever Brown, yeah, he's they're really good players. They have a nice defensive backfield. I just don't, I don't think he's a good coach, and I think Manny Diaz is a poor defensive coordinator. So, I, I'm not, I'm down on them. I'm out. I don't think they're going to be very good. I think this is an average team in the Big Ten. And like you said, they're going to be like, why the hell do we pay this guy so much money? We don't need him. Yeah. It's just going to be one of those cases. Again, hey, whatever. That's not my – That's I don't care. I hate Penn State anyway. So um, so my, my team, um, fourth place, all by themselves. Uh, let me pull it up here. Um, in the Big Ten West, I have the Golden Gophers of Minnesota – uh, you look at them. 2017, they were five and seven. 2018, they were seven and six. 2019, 11 and two. Pretty good year. Uh, 2023 and four. And last year they went nine and four. Um, Mr. Fleck, row the damn boat, ski ma, whatever they'd say up there. He's there still. Um, they bring back Kirk Sierra. I don't know how to say his name. He was their offensive coordinator in 2019 when they had the really good offense. And then he left for Penn State. They fired him after a year. Now he's back. I'm in Tanner Morgan, who's been there for like 30 years, <laughs> literally. This guy's bald. With Ibrahim, um, another guy that's been there 30 years. I don't know if this is good or bad that Morgan's back. Yeah, he's been their quarterback for a while, but he's not very good, I don't think. He's really a great arm or anything. 
not very mobile. He's experienced. Yeah, I mean, that's about it. And then Ibrahim, he's really good. He had that injury last year against Ohio State early. I think second quarter, torn Achilles, whatever's out for the season. He's a pretty good, dang, pretty dang good back. Um, then they have Trey Potts coming back. He was really good last year. He got hurt. Then another back last year got hurt. They had like three backs go down. But Potts is good. That's a really nice one-two punch there in the backfield. I think you know one of the better duos in the Big Ten that comes at receiving. Um, Chris Ottman Bell. He's back for what do you know? A sixth year. How do these king of the six years there? He's their leading receiver last year. He's back. Other than that, they don't have much at receiver. Not much returning experience. Um, tight end. They don't really have much back. This guy, his name's Brevin Spanford, six seven two seventy. Tight end. That's a big boy. That's a big boy. That's a big boy. Um, That's you with some pounds. Yeah, a lot more pounds. John Michael Schmitz, he's their only returning starter on their offensive line. Um, they have some guys that have a little bit of experience, but this guy's the only one. Then they have a few transfers coming. Chuck Filagia, he's from Michigan. Um, I think he's a guard. And Quinn Carroll, he's a tackle from Notre Dame. So guys that played high level, um, but probably didn't play a lot. That's why they transferred in. Um, you look at this, you'd think P.J. Fleck, right, would have a really good recruiting class, seems like it. 53rd overall. He's been there a while. I mean, Not he's very been good. there a bit, too. And like, yeah, I don't. He was a hot name a couple years ago, but I think he should have left when the, when the getting in was good. offensive line is where they needed help. They they got one offensive line recruit. One. I'm sorry, two. Two offensive line recruits. And then they have a few transfers, um, like I said, in, in Carroll and Philagia. Um, a lot of defensive transfers coming in. But their offense, you know, if. If they stay healthy, their running backs are, are really good, and their offensive line needs work. Um, hopefully, Siakoko or whatever his name is can can uh, get the work going um, with them. Then go go over the defensive side of the ball. Mariano Sori Marin, he's their leader um, on defense. He's back at linebacker. He was uh, one of their leading tacklers last year. He kind of fills the middle for them, the communicator and the defense. And they have Tyler Nubbin, Jordan Howden. Um, they're they're basically. Um, you know, their best defensive backs um, and, you know, experienced guys, they'll be holding down the fort, um, you know, in the back half of that defense. Um, their defensive line needed a lot of help. They lost guys. They lost Boy Mafi. He was an early second-round pick in the NFL draft. Um, so they lost some pass rush guys. But brought in some help. They got Kyler Ball, UConn. I don't know if that's good. Um, Darnell Jeffries from Clemson. So he's that – um, big program um, experience. Um, other than that, not much experience on that D line. They need they need to figure out you know a rotation of seven or eight guys that can go and you know wreak havoc on the quarterback because that was a struggle for them last year. Aside from Mafi, um, kind of didn't get to the quarterback as much as they probably would have liked to. Um, some key newcomers, um, Shannon Bishop, he's a cornerback transfer from Western Kentucky. Would, would assume he'll play a decent amount. Then they have Trey Bixby, who can try to help that pass rush, former four-star, um, just coming in, defensive lineman. Um, and then moving over to special teams, um, Jacob Lewis, he comes in. He's a, tr- a kicker transfer from Ball State. He was decent there. He'll probably be the punter. And then Mark Crawford returns as their starting punter. Average about 42 yards per punt last year, so pretty decent. Um, always good to have an experienced punter. 
I'd say the strength of this ball club, um, definitely the running backs, um, and then the secondary I think is going to be pretty solid um, just with the experience they've come back. And definitely weaknesses, like I was saying before, offensive line depth, I don't know. Um, you know, it's kind of like, they're kind of like Michigan State, but with less guys coming back, you just don't know what's going to happen. If there's injuries, what happens? Um, what these guys haven't played before, so we shall see what happens there. Prediction: um, I'm going eight and four, um, so pretty decent season in Minneapolis. Um, five and four in the Big Ten, good for fourth overall. Um, we'll go through their schedule here. So the start week one, home game against New Mexico State. I swear they play them like every year. I don't know why. Um, Feels like they do. And then Western Illinois definitely wins. So they start off 2 0. They play Colorado at home. I think they went there last year. I'm pretty sure they won. Um, but Colorado's pretty bad. Yeah, they did. Pretty bad. Pretty bad team. Um, expect them to win that. Then they come uh, to East Lansing late September. I think that's going to be a loss. Uh, home against Purdue, have them winning that. So they're 4 1 going into this bye week, feeling really good about themselves. Um, and then they play at Illinois, have them winning that. Then they go to Penn State, wheels kind of fall off, loss. Um, home against Rutgers, win. And then at Nebraska, them losing, um, if you recall from last week. Um, then Northwestern, Iowa, Wisconsin to finish, win against Northwestern, win against Iowa. Then losing um, Paul, Bunyan, Paul Bunyan's axe, giving it up to the Badgers, losing at Camp Randall. So that's good for 3-0 out of conference, 5-4, and four, like I said, in Big Ten, 8-4 overall, 4th. Big Ten West and a berth in the Music City Bowl. Hopefully it would be as good as last year's Music City Bowl between the Boilermakers and Volunteers. Yep, and Ryan, we are aligned. Uh, I didn't look, pay that close attention to your game by game, but we're aligned at 3-0, 5-4, 8-4. I have, because I've got a glut of four teams tied for second in that uh, in the Big Ten West. I have Minnesota. Um, I'll, I have them falling next week, but for the sake of things same record as ryan said um for my pick as quote big 10 west number four might be a little surprised especially based on where i think ryan might have them as i have wisconsin now i have them finishing in a tie for second but i have ryan or wisconsin going here um with that same three and oh five and four eight and four um tied for second and i have wisconsin going the tampa bowl um i think wisconsin will edge up in front of a couple of the other teams that, that they tie with because of name and traveling ability to get to the Tampa, formerly the Outback Bowl. Um, uh, but that's where I haven't finished in. You know, you'll hear my pick for Minnesota next week. It's surprise, tied for second, um, along with somebody else. Surprise, tied for second. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how Ryan and I differ because I think that's probably where we differ the most in our picks so far. All right, so that is the Big Ten East and West, fifth and f- fourth place next week we've got third and second and then we'll save the um, the week after that for our champions picks get a little bit maybe more into our preseason top 10 in college football i don't know whatever you want to hear about from college football standpoint hit the big fella up and let them know all right moving on to fourth down as we always finish off all summer with golf ryan how we doing the contest last week yeah here like not the seinfeld out. contest but just the golf contest yeah. um so my guys i if you remember, I had home on Hadwin, the H's. My guys finished combined 61st. Then you had Cam Young, Maverick, McNeely. McNeely missed the cut. Cam Young, second place, T second place, fifth one of the season. He's been playing really, really yeah, well. He's been I hope he breaks through and wins one in the playoffs. That'd be great. I'm a big fan of him. Met him last year, and really nice guy. 
Um, young, young. Finau has just been phenomenal. Yeah, Tony, I mean, he had one bogey all weekend. That is yeah, just sick. Playing, it's kind of like me on Saturday at yeah, Quail Ridge. He's playing pretty unbelievable golf right now. Yeah, uh, he's he's playing finally great. good to see because he's he's such a likable guy and he's been so close and really happy for him. He's finally broken through. Um, can he keep it going? So you know, sometimes it doesn't carry over week to week, but we've seen that this year when you're Shuffler. striking the ball well, though. And you're just kind of in a groove, and you're in a zone. Um, yeah, it was it was fun to watch, even though we kind of ran away with it. That's a, you know, what are you twenty six under? So it was it was they made it look easy, but it's a fun little course to look at. A little Donald Ross there in Detroit, um, you know, pretty decent field, some good risk reward holes. It's, it's that's a fun tournament to watch. It'll be interesting. I was just reading through an article on the twenty twenty three season. Some of that stuff came out today as announced from the PGA. Much bigger purses. Yep. Not necessarily to compete with Olive, but schedule. Yeah, just you know, but things like the Rocket Mortgage and the John Deere and the Travelers look to fall in kind of no man's land in terms of where they fall with the tournament schedule and how good the tournament is. Big change for next year. Now it's 125 guys I think qualify for the first week of the FedEx Cup. It's 70 next year. Wow, that's a huge change. And you could argue, okay, well, some of that is you know top 10 guys that left and, and went to the live tour or whatever. I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think in the PGA's line, and I agree is let's put a little bit more heat on these guys to play down the stretch to get into the top 70. And there's more money in the FedEx pockets next year. Um, you know, there's quite a bit of money dispersal. I think I read there was an increase of close to 70 million overall in purses. Um, the big, some, not the, the majors per se, but um, there is a major, let me find them here, there's a huge kick-up um, th- where there's going to see a huge purse increase. So actually there's 44 regular season events, $428.6 million in official prize money, um, and then another $145 million in available bonuses. Um, these six of eight invitationals all have significantly increased prize money the century tournament of champions which is in maui um great tournament beginning of the year the genesis the arnold palmer the memorial the players and the wgc dell technologies match play um it's going to be super interesting to look to see um how that goes it'll be interesting to see of course if there's continued defections to the live tour Liv kind of set a line in the sand, though, and they, they kind of said, you know, 48 is our cap, so we don't need all these extra guys. So maybe they're happy with what they've got. I don't know. They're, you know, the biggest, latest defection was Bubba Watson. Yeah, a couple-time Masters champion. Yeah, he shows up for some tournaments. He's fun to watch because he just grips it and rips it or whatever, but he doesn't fall into the unlikable category of most of the guys in the Live Tour, but is he really lost for the PGA Tour? I don't know. There's there's so much good young talent on the PGA Tour. I think they've got enough to get by. Do they have to figure something out? Yes. Maybe. Um, do they have to address some of their shortcomings and, and whatever with the Live Tour? Do they have to find a way to, to kumbaya a little bit? Maybe. Um, which gets me into our question, one of the questions for the week, and then we can make our picks for this week. It's a, sure. we're, we're a day earlier. but So Henrik Stenson made some comment about the Ryder Cup after he won the Live Tour event this weekend. I don't know, it might have been the first tour event that he played on and he won yeah. it. Um, so the question, should the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup 
and the PGA find a way to keep the world's best involved in those events. Because if you know, if you didn't know, the Ryder Cup said, "Thank you, you wanted your captaincy, Henrik, but we're taking it back because you moved to the Live Tour." Yeah, I, I'm for that. I don't. If they want to join that Live Bull crap, they can go right ahead and they they risk giving it up. They know that. Yeah. They know that if they are going to that, they're risking potentially major championships in the future. They're at, they're risking these. Events that a lot of these, you know, like Luke Donald just became the captain. He's like, this is a dream come true. He's like, I would never do something like that. Like, this is an honor to be named the captain of my continent for the Ryder Cup, which golf fans love it. It's every two years. They love it. It's like it's a dream. I mean, you can argue all you want. Oh, it waters it down. But you know what? The U.S. has lost some guys, too. You know, Leonard and um, – or not Leonard – I'm thinking of of Dustin. Dustin as in Justin Leonard. Dustin Johnson, um, Brooks, Bryson. Yeah, guys that played on the Ryder Cup. But here's the thing is, if the Ryder Cup is for love of country, it's not for love of PGA, but if it's for love of country or love of continent, um, in the case of Europe, why not stay in the PGA and play? I mean, I think there's got to be some line in the sand drawn. And here's the thing. My biggest gripe against the LIV is that it is not an apples to apples comparison. Everybody makes every cut. You get I don't whatever the money is whatever. You want to pay people in the PGA to to show up. I'm sure there's some appearance fees for some people. Fine, whatever. I don't care about that. That's not to me the money is not what matters. Maybe where the money comes from, but what matters is we're talking about shotgun start 54 hole no cut events. That's just not the same as grinding to make the cut. Maybe on the number, week in and week out. And I'm sorry, you got to work hard at your job. I don't just show up to work and sit there for eight hours a day and get paid for sitting there for eight hours a day. I actually have to do some output. So, Liv, you're basically getting paid to show up. Phil Mickelson, I saw some number. He's like, I don't even know, he's like 40-something over in his three tournaments there. Right? Some ungodly number. Maybe it was in the mid-20s. I don't know what it was. It was enough for my eyes to pop out and go, what, he's that bad? But he's making millions right like to show up so again throw the money aside there needs to be an apples to apples comparison if the live got to a point where they had points where they were a 72 holes with cut whatever and it was truly an apples to apples competitive thing then i would have no problem with the Ryder cup and the president's cup and the pga and them getting together and sitting down and saying fine let's go back to the world's best 12 players or however they work it out Europe does a little different than the U.S. But until it's an apples-to-apples apples comparison, I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. Henrik, you can cry and whine all you want. You knew what you were signing up for. The PGA has been suspending these guys who left or the guys have been resigning. You knew that was coming when the you know PGA Europe or or you know DP World Tour or Europe or whatever strip you of your captaincy. They're not you, doing it for the money. You made that choice, and don't gripe about it. You knew what the ramifications were. You knew there was a chance, and you and you didn't go. And you know what? If that means the U.S. and Europe have eight guys that we know really well and four guys that were like, oh, hey, look at that, so be it. Because those four guys are going to be just chomping at the bit to compete for it. So that's my take on that. All right. Totally agree. Um, before we get back to our picks for the week, one more question of the week. And I say this because you know what club I'm going to say. If you could only keep one wedge in your bag from this point forward, what would it be? Pitching. I would keep my gap wedge. Yeah. Ryan knows why. 
fourth hole out of the season, third one with that club from 60 yards out at Quail Ridge, my former nemesis. I actually finally conquered it and shot in the 80s there. Maybe it'll go back on the road. Ryan, Ryan's game has been coming along. It's getting a little bit better, but still can't beat Dad this year. Just the one time when I blew up. So fire. we're going to keep it that way, hopefully. Best I've played since I was a member at Blythefield. Feels pretty good because I'm getting older. Pretty soon, Young Buck's going to beat me all the time again. So, all right, let's get back to this week. So we got the Greensboro. It's the last last chance for some of these guys that are on the cusp to sneak into the top 125 and make it into the FedEx Cup. Who you got this week, Ryan? Two guys um, come to mind. It's not a very strong field. I'm kind of surprised because I would think some of those guys that some are on the guys cusp, that aren't, yeah, aren't necessarily, or they do a warm up. I guess. I guess it doesn't matter. Like if you're those, a top ten, you're a top. Some guys 10. aren't necessarily, you know, strong into the you know playoffs. I'm gonna go with a guy that's played pretty well the last few years. Sung J M. He's my favorite guy, and then Russell Henley, who I picked earlier this year. His name just kind of popped out to me, not for aside from. And I didn't even look at the field, so I, I assume these guys are playing. One, I think, has been pretty close to 125 because of injuries this year, but usually plays well there. I'm going to go with Webb. Yep, he's playing. Webb good. Simpson. And then I don't even know if he's going to play after uh, finishing second this last week. And But I think, you know, trying to make that and break it, make it and break into winning, I'm going to go with Cam Young again. Yeah, I don't even know if he's playing. Uh, if he doesn't play, give me another Cam. There's got to be another Cam in the field. <laughs> Cam Davis, maybe. Cam Davis, Cam Cam Champ. There's a bunch well of Cams. Uh, yeah, Cam Davis. Didn't he win it last year? He won the... The Rocket? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, um, those are my guys. Ryan, you'll have to tell me. If Cam Young, won it if, last year. If Cam Young doesn't play, then obviously I'll have to find somebody else. Otherwise, I, I'm just... I didn't even do homework. I, I just went with that. All right. Um, that's it for golf. Unless you got anything else? No. All right. Let's go to our sprint... Bigger threat to win the East from today's picks. I had Maryland fifth, Penn State fourth. Probably you. Penn State, just overall yeah, talent. I think that's I think that's fair. Team that could most rise up. I, again, I think Maryland could sneak out a big win, but I don't think they'd have a chance to actually win the East. Um, sprint two, bigger threat out of the today's picks to win the West. The West is wide open. Minnesota, for sure. Yeah, and I had what was I think. I'll say Wisconsin just because Wisconsin, you know, has been a little bit kind of in the last couple years, but they got a new offensive coordinator. Chris isn't doing the play calling. You got to think maybe Mertz will get back on it. So I had them finishing fourth, tied for second, but fourth. So I'll say Wisconsin for me. Um, Sprint three, should someone have to stay somewhere two seasons, one of those being a burned eligibility year before they get a free transfer? Yes. I say that because the NCAA is supposed to come out this week with their transfer rules. I think that's fair, and here's why. I talked about it in my podium with McCall and staying. I don't think you can tell in one year because it's hard. The adjustment from high school to college, and Ryan could tell you even as a D3 guy, it's hard as going from the big man on campus to one of 14, 15 guys that was big man on campus or however many football guys that you're going up against. I don't think you can make a rational decision in a season or one, you know, one fall of practice or one basketball season of practice. Um, whether one of your years is a redshirt or you use them both, I'm all for that first free year of transfer. But I think that the NCAA should change it to say you've got to stay somewhere two years. If they've got a rule with football that you've got to stay somewhere, you've got to be in college for three years, whether you three years of eligibility before you can go pro, 
why not do this? I think it would calm down the transfer portal. I think it would get some of these guys who think they're hot to trot to leave and go to four or five schools. It would knock out all that stuff, and you'd have a lot less guys kind of sitting there in limbo. That's my personal opinion. It will never happen. That's my personal opinion. All right, and sprint four, most looking forward to. This is based on a fun little drink that I made off of a TikTok um, that we tried tonight. Are you first looking, you're most looking forward to your first shot Beer or drink, or your first meal at a tailgate meal. this year? Meal. First meal. Yeah, I got to go with that, too. I don't know what we're going to put on the on the Blackstone. We got a ton of great recipes. It's a night game. It's a Friday night. We could go hibachi. We could go fajitas. We could just go classic burgers. We could go smash burgers. I don't know. I'm looking forward to that meal. I'm getting hungry just talking about it. All right, Ryan, wrap us up. Final score, 35. Twitter, follow us. Um, if you're... Follow us on Spotify, Apple Pod, whatever. Uh, hit that like button, dislike button, whatever you want. Leave us a comment. Um, but appreciate you guys listening. Shout out to our sponsor, Team Andrews Realty. Um, appreciate you guys listening. And share the pod with your Big Ten friends. We don't just we talk a fair amount about Michigan State here on the pod, but we talk a lot about the Big Ten in general, football and basketball. We'd love to have some non-Michigan State Michigan fans weigh in with their opinion. You know, we got some family members out there that are some Hoosiers and things like that, but pass this along to, to people in Big Ten country or around the country that might be interested in those previews and want to wring our necks. I'm going to post our picks to TikTok as well, so if you want to look at it there, you can look at it on my TikTok, The Final Score Network, I think is the name of my TikTok. Anyway, as Ryan said, shout out to our presenting sponsor, Team Andrews Realty. If you have realty needs in the still hot West Michigan realty market, get a hold of Jim, Donna, Tim, Sean, Liz and family at teamanders.com. Meantime, as the late, great Bill Russell once said, success is a result of consistent practice of winning skills and actions. There is nothing miraculous about the process. There is no luck involved.